0: Good afternoon everybody. Welcome to Turf Crest Epistemology. I'm Travis Shaddix. It's a special Thursday afternoon edition of the show. We've been going over nitrogen for what a month I guess foliar nitrogen for the last week or two. And we're going to end the leap what is this is leap year so February 29th we're going to end the nitrogen foliar topic for this month. with. Uh, what I think is one of the better papers. And then next month, we're probably going to move into either phosphorus or potassium. So I've looked and I've tried really hard, okay, on Google Scholar, I've looked. I've typed in Doug. I've typed in Marty. I've typed in Beth. I've typed in all these names and tried to see, you know, who, who, who where's everybody at in the, in the citations? And I have yet to find anybody close the number of citations my guest has today. (laughs) Today my guest is Dr. Mike Richardson from the University of Arkansas. Hi, Mike.
1: Hey, Travis, how are you? I'm well.
0: I've really tried, Mike. I've tried to find somebody with more citations than you and I can't find one.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, um, when we first started thinking about this topic, um, I was also shocked that there weren't many citations out there. I Mm -hmm. mean, uh, you could go back, 20 years ago and dan bowman did some work uh but uh it's it was a pretty uh, slim body of literature mm-hmm. on foliar uptake of of nitrogen in, in turf grasses i mean it's been done in other crops but yeah. uh, not not much been done with turf
0: well yeah not just this topic though on this paper but you oh <laughs> <laughs> Just you just the name of Mike Richardson. I think it's like fifty five hundred citations or something. <laughs> I think I mean someone like like Soldat or you know Goethe, I think would be up near your numbers, you know, but they're not. <laughs> I mean, well, and I, and they're both, I, guess,
1: I guess that's good for me to hear. Uh, yeah. Those are those are two fine scientists. And, sure. uh, I, I think maybe. Well, I don't know about Beth, but, you know, I guess I'm just older than most. So that's probably just, why the numbers are so high.
0: Maybe you've just been around. Maybe it's like Groundhog Day <laughs> where Bill Murray's like, he's just been around for so long. He remembers everything. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, welcome for the if there's by chance of anybody who's listening who does not know who Mike Richardson is. You want to give us a once over on who you are and how you got to where you're at?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, uh, I'm a professor at the University of Arkansas, Department of Horticulture. Uh, I've been here for uh, 25 years, uh, actually 26 years now. Um, And um, before that, I was on the faculty a short period, a couple of years uh, up at Rutgers. Uh, Worked uh, also briefly out in the turfgrass seed industry, uh, kind of right out out of my Ph.D., uh, but uh, been working on turfgrass systems now for over 30 years, and um, it's been a it's been a great ride, and I've enjoyed every minute of it, and uh, enjoyed you know the work we do, but probably enjoyed the the people that I've been able to interact with as scientists and and, and golf course superintendents and lawn care operators and uh, the whole gamut. It's uh, just a great uh, just a great industry to work with.
0: Yeah, where where are you at now in your progression in your career are you sort of sunsetting things out are you still running full steam ahead or what's going on
1: well um, I'm definitely um, I'm definitely meeting with uh, my retirement uh, counselor (laughs) More regularly now, so I'm I'm probably going to be at the university another three or four years. Oh, Uh, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna probably retire, and um, Mm. you know I've got uh, some other things that I want to pursue work wise as well as uh, I've got uh, four grandbabies that are less than five years old, so I want to start spending a little more time with them and my wife, who's watched me work uh, probably more than I should have over the last. 30 plus years of our marriage. So, yeah. um, li- like to, um, like to do a few other things, uh, while, while I'm still healthy enough to, to do those things.
0: Good. Fantastic. Well, you've earned it wherever you end up going or retiring and kind of some people I can I can think of one particular one in Florida when he retired, he's more busy now than he ever was <laughs> when he was a professor. And he was sure. one of the greatest soil professors, you know, in our industry. I'm yeah. like, how, how can you be more busy now? <laughs> it's like, I just am.
1: So. Well, you know, I, I, have this conversation with my wife a lot. She's like, why do you work so much? It's like, because I love my work, honey. Yeah. It's not work. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I get up every day. I'm thinking about turf grass and that's, that's what I do. And, uh, mm-hmm. that's what I, I'm really passionate about. And I mean, I have some other hobbies, but, um, yeah. you know, I, 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 tr- I truly do feel like m- my work is my hobby. I mean, it's the thing that I, that it gives me a lot of joy and and so you know it does it just doesn't feel like work to me
0: yeah i'm with you on that i mean when, yeah. you, i mean, I don't know how you are now but if you're thinking about it in a positive way thinking about it when you're going to bed and you can't wait to get up and go back and answer some more questions or work with some more students or meet i mean that's a great position to be in regardless of whatever industry you're in right i mean
1: absolutely you, know, you could be yeah. a painter
0: or you could be a pianist or whatever and and um and that, that's a great you found the right career if that's your mentality for sure so yeah Well, today's paper, like I said, Mike, on the introduction, we've been going over nitrogen. In the last week or two, we've been going over a lot of foliar nitrogen. And oftentimes, over the last week or two, I've got the question about um, when should we apply water? or When can we apply water? or How much is taken up immediately after foliar application? And of course, you have another paper about different nitrogen sources on uptake. Chris Chris had the paper on different nitrogen sources, and I'll eventually get into that at some point, but this one's more about urea. And- how much gets taken up and how fast it gets taken up and all that stuff. So I wanted to kind of wrap this whole topic up with this paper. Um, and um, so that's kind of going to put a bow on this month of nitrogen. But before we get there, as as, uh, as people in this science industry, the science world know, uh, this paper was written by Chris Stiegler. And um, I thought you might want to have an opportunity to kind of explain who Chris was and, you know, kind of give him a uh, the do you know, respect uh, needed for, for his contribution to turfgrass science.
1: Well, I, I certainly appreciate that opportunity, uh, Travis. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Chris Chris was um, my first PhD student here at Arkansas, uh, and he uh, hailed out of uh, Oklahoma. His father was a soil scientist at Oklahoma State, and, uh, and eventually the department head there in their, uh, their the soil science, or I think it was crop and soil science department uh but anyway chris uh went through the turf program over there and um and then went out and worked a period of time in the industry as a, as an assistant golf course superintendent and then decided to come back to Oklahoma state and get a masters degree with uh with greg bell and um you know kind of got into the research and then reached out to me and came over and visited and uh we we talked about some things and kind of hit it off and and so he came here to work with me and um you know, as as I typically do with my Ph.D. students, I, I want them to work on something that gets them excited. So I usually give them four or five ideas that I'm thinking about. But, you know, I'm, I'm open to whatever ideas they might have as well. And but but one of the ideas that um, we were I was thinking about at that time was was this idea of foliar uh, nutrition, you know, because it was it was becoming um, very obvious that, you know, the golf course superintendents especially, but other other turf managers as well, were were really starting to use liquid applications of fertilizers more than they had ever used uh, the decades prior to that. And there were lots of foliar products that were bring, bring coming to market. And I was getting a lot of questions about them and, frankly, didn't have many answers and so uh, we we settled on this project and chris um, was really just focused primarily on on nitrogen uptake um, you know it's a it's not an easy thing to study and and we couldn't make it much broader than that for a dissertation but but anyway he he um you know he took a deep dive into nitrogen uptake through through foliage uh on, on putting green turf on, on bent grass and bermudagrass putting greens and um, really did some some fabulous work, um, and got uh, three what I considered to be really solid papers uh, out of out of that work that he did. Uh, and then Chris uh, finished up his degree in, in 2010, uh, and um, was interviewed and got offered a, um, a turfgrass physiology ecology uh, position at Texas A and M, and so he, he took that position. Uh, Went to College Station, I think, and I think he went down there in maybe August um, of 2010. He and his wife had just had a baby and they moved down to to College Station. And then um, just a a few months later on Christmas Eve, he was driving back to Oklahoma to see his family and and Jenny's family, who was also there in Oklahoma. And um, Really, really bad rainstorm, and a vehicle uh, was approaching and in a curve uh, hydroplaned and hit them head on and uh, killed both uh, Chris and Jenny uh, and their little six uh, month old. Uh, baby Emily uh, survived the accident was was uh, two broken legs injured and um, she was you know you know in the hospital for quite a period of time but um, uh, it was uh, it was a, a real tragic loss uh, you know for me personally uh, because Chris had been such a close um, you know like a son to me and a friend. Uh, and, and a real tragic loss to the to the turf grass industry because he, he was really a, a bright uh, shining young star that was uh, that that had the potential to do you know some really great things uh, as a faculty member and so um, again it was you know a, a real tragedy but uh, but one of the things that came out of that was um, you know I immediately started thinking about you know, Chris's impact on our science, and um, and it, it inspired me to basically go to the Crop Science Society in the C5 uh, division uh, where the turf scientists uh, reside, and and propose a a scholarship that uh, was was uh, named after Chris, and and would be a scholarship that would support graduate students uh, to come to our meeting because um, you know I, my my experience with in c5 has always been that the graduate students are oftentimes the stars of the show and it's um it's been a really great um it's probably been the the one thing in my career you know you talked about a lot of publications but that that doesn't mean anything to me like i think the impact that that the stigler travel fellowship has had on me personally just the the satisfaction of seeing i think we're we're up over a hundred students and probably over a hundred thousand dollars in scholarship support that we've been able to give in the last 14 years to um, to graduate students to come to that meeting. So uh, again, it's a it's a sad story, but it, but it's also a story that I think has a um, has a big big impact on on a lot. It's had a big impact on a lot of people, and so for that, uh, I'm I'm incredibly proud.
0: Yeah, it should be, and that scholarship is funded by a golf tournament, is that the primary source of funding for that?
1: Well, we started off we just kind of we just started asking people to to donate and so mm. you know we got donations from, you know, uh, companies, groups like the USGA, GCSA, people mm. like that, individuals were supporting mm. it, but we have had um I don't know I don't know how many we've got had five or six golf tournaments as well that were fundraisers at the crop science meetings and okay. and so we've been able to build that um you know that that fund up to a point now where we're like I said offering anywhere between six and eight scholarships a year, and I think they're they're at about fifteen hundred dollars a year uh, now for travel scholarships.
0: Nice. I mean, if there's somebody listening that wanted to contribute, is there a way they can contribute, or is it more like through the golf? <laughs> yeah,
1: countries? there is. I mean, there's there's actually a, a fund at the in the Agronomic Science Foundation, which is kind of the the. Um, the fundraising arm of the tri societies. And so, um, uh, it's, I I don't have the, the, the web link right off the top of my head, but if, if somebody wants to email me, Mm. um, I, I can, I can provide that information uh, and we we'd love to love to have people uh, get involved in it.
0: Good. Well, I appreciate that. I, you know, I said with his (laughs) impact, it's, it's really amazing the impact he had with the little time he was here. I mean, it's like the papers he published, were substantial and have been built on since then. So, you know, I uh, I, I don't want to uh, go through this without acknowledging him and his efforts for sure, so.
1: No, I with, appreciate that, Travis.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so with that, we're gonna talk about foliar nitrogen uptake and to, to putting green grasses. The title of this is Foliar Nitrogen Uptake Following Your Reapplication to Putting Green Turfgrass Species. And in here, you're gonna have I think it's Tiff Eagle and Bentgrass. I, I think it's I think it's a four a one Bentgrass. I think if I'm not mistaken, I can't recall. That's correct. a one a one a one. And this was published in Crop Science in 2001. So if you can, if you can, Mike, instead of maybe just reading through the introduction, you want to kind of just you kind of did give us the introduction a little bit about kind of the setting as to what why there was this was of interest to you and and um, how you kind of formulated the the study with Chris, I suppose, and then um, and began the study, I guess, with his PhD. So the, I guess, why don't we just skip to the objective because that's at the end of the introduction, and then we can kind of talk about the study itself. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that's fine. Uh, so yeah, just a little more background on it is okay. that, you know, the, um, the you know the the place where there was the most activity in terms of foliar fertilizers being used was was obviously on putting greens and mm. and and there there were a number of reasons that superintendents were moving in that direction and one was um, that you know they were oftentimes spraying the greens with something every week anyway, whether yeah. it was a wedding agent or, you know, a, a fungicide or something else. And so they I think they they started learning and, and there was some there was some data that that supported that that if you could do more um, you know frequent um, uh, spoon feeding of of grasses, then you could control growth. And I mean, if you've been watching um, discussions on on Twitter and other areas over the last you know five or six years, you know uh, measuring clipping rates and plant growth regulators and and trying to manage growth is is still a huge part of, of what, um, you know, superintendents are doing on putting greens. And so, um, foliar fertilizers was one tool that allowed you to um, control very, very precisely, um, you know, how much nit- nitrogen you were feeding the turf. And uh, it also, um, you know, was a very precise application. You could put out very, very low rates at very, um, you know, very, Define quantities, which is difficult to do with a spreader and, you know, a granular fertilizer. I mean, I don't care how good you are; it's hard to put that stuff out that ap- accurately, especially at really, really low rates. Mm-hmm. So that was that was really what was what was happening. But as I started getting questions very similar to the questions you're asking about, well, you know. You know, when should I, you know, when should I, can I irrigate it? Should I irrigate it after I, I spray it? And there were just a lot of questions like that that we didn't have answers to. And so it just seemed to me like uh, based on the, the, you know, the paucity of, of literature out there that it was – um we needed to kind of just start at the beginning and say, okay, well, how fast is nitrogen taken up by the plant? Uh, Does the nitrogen care if it's an ammonia form of nitrogen or a nitrate form of nitrogen or urea nitrogen? I mean, what does it prefer? And so those were some of the real simple, basic questions that really hadn't been answered very uh, thoroughly in, in turf. Um, Most of the work that had been done on grasses had been more in, you know, growth chamber settings. And so, you know, field, field applications or field data from that was really was really non-existent. So uh, that was that was what really led us to this. And then, uh, you know, outside of of those basic questions, we were interested in things like, you know, um, what happens across the growing season does um, you know, do, do Bermuda grasses take up nitrogen better in the middle of the summer and not as well in the spring and fall? Or on the flip side, do do cool season grasses like bent grass take up nitrogen better in the spring and fall or the shoulder seasons? And and and. Struggle to take it up in the summer, and so we were, we were uh, also interested in that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things we addressed in this uh, in this paper, uh, and you know, we we were also just kind of interested in you know, is there a, is there a rate, or you know, can you put out too much, or you know, is there uh, are there any parameters there that might might affect uh, the efficiency of
0: uptake? Okay, yeah, and that's what you had here, really, in, in the and in you just identified the objectives were you looked at seasons, you looked at an infill conditions or underfill conditions and you basically looked at the the putting green turf at, at sequential time intervals. So you wanted to know mm-hmm. you were wanting to know is there any differences in over months. So you had months as a fixed effect. Occasionally there's one or two people in the audience. It surprised it surprises me they ask these detailed questions. I said show show me the ANOVA table. I'm like Really? You want to see the ANOVA table? <laughs> I was, okay. <laughs> I mean that's pretty sharp that's pretty sharp if you're at that level. So um so for those people who are interested in that, they had seasons or months as a fixed effect, <clears throat> which is not common. Usually time or years or months are usually random effects. Right. So, mm-hmm. but in this case, you were actually asking, is there a difference in May versus June or June and July or whatever the case might be and w- what's happening within those months, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's, that was the objective. Uh, so the materials and methods, if we can get there, basically you did this at, at your research center there in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which I've had the pleasure of being there at least once between one of your field days, many, 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 many years ago, <laughs> a long time ago. I, re- I think I remember that. Yeah. I came up, I think I was working for Harold's at the time. I was I working for Harold's. It must've been because it was like 2007 or eight or nine. So a long time ago. And, um, I was pleasantly surprised, I, I you know, that. Oftentimes, when I where I came from, we at UF they had a tiny, tiny. Well, they did have a tiny, tiny little turf grass research center, and I was like, "Is this normal?" I went to your place, and I was like, "Your place was bigger than UF's at the time." So I'm like, "This looks great." And so <laughs> they've since moved into a different location, but you guys were, I mean, par for the course. You know, look good. So, yes. um, so you did it, in Arkansas, and you did it in with A1. Here it is, yeah, A1 creeping bent grass and tiffy called hybrid Bermuda <clears throat> Now I highlighted this one, <clears throat> this running right here in lighter green. And this is really more for a point of conversation between. I mean, I don't. Know, it's probably going to bore the audience to tears. But in here, I want to read this, and I would like to. I really have a comment slash question about this. And I think I know why you put this in here because later you tried to. You know, there, there's an attempt to explain some some of the data. But it says, from a diffusion standpoint, differing nitrogen concentrations in leaves could have an effect on the amount of foliar nitrogen taken up by the plant. So that makes sense. If it's loaded up and there's a diffusion issue, it's not going to diffuse if it's high high concentrations and you're going, going from low to high. However, it should be noted that Bowman and Paul 1989 found no significant difference in foliar absorption efficiency between insufficient and deficient turf grasses. Now, I'll admit, I haven't read that paper in I don't know how long. Okay, but basically, what you're saying, or what I'm inferring from what you're trying to say there, is that regardless of whether the turf grass is supplied with sufficient nitrogen or not, this particular author, this group of authors, found there was no difference in uptake. And I'll be mm-hmm. frank; I'm not convinced that that's that's entirely accurate. Uh, but I haven't read that paper so uh, in a long time. So because later on in this paper, you're going to find there's some discrepancies in the in the months or the years that you that you didn't expect, and and. Although that's sort of, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. That's tangential. But you're going to find differences in nitrogen application rates. The uh, the lower rates, you found greater uptake. The higher rates, you found lower uptake. And that's 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 so consistent in the literature where you find more of a percentage of the applied being taken up from the lower application rates than the higher application rates. And I've without citing anything, I've usually come to the and there's the assumption that those lower nutrient application rates are taken up at a greater percentage of the applied than the higher application rates because the nitrogen tends to be deprived of nitrogen at those lower rates and it's more and more inclined to take up more of the nitrogen when it's when it's more deprived uh-huh. of it but this this citation seems to refute that notion or at least you know you mentioned here that hey this this might you know these authors found that it didn't matter whether it was deficient uh-huh. or sufficient the nitrogen uptake was the same do You care to comment on that, or is it, was that what you were going for, trying to, you know, say that?
1: Well, yeah, I'll I'll comment on that. I mean, we, we really didn't didn't set up the study to have a, a what I would consider to be a nitrogen deficient and a nitrogen sufficient. Uh, treatment, So we didn't like, you know, pre-treat yeah. the areas or not treat areas and try to get them, you know, really hungry versus versus things that are well fed. Mm. Uh, but one of the things that you know, I, I was really fortunate uh, with this work to, to, to work with a couple of incredible scientists here at Arkansas, Derek Oosterhouse, who if you if you want to learn about foliar nitrogen, you'll find his name published. You know, what did you say? I had 500 publications. He's probably got 5000 publications. <laughs> yeah. But he most of his work was on cotton, okay. and and he had he had looked at some of that and and what uh, he saw in his work and I think what we saw in this study too was that you know plant leaves um, they they just they only have a certain capacity to take nitrogen up, okay. and so as you start trying to dose it with higher levels of nitrogen, um, it may take up more nitrogen, but. If you start looking at it from a percent uptake standpoint, what mm. you'll see is that that percentage will generally go down some. And we saw this pretty consistently yeah. in some other studies as well. So, yeah. um, like I said, we didn't really study deficient versus sufficient turf in mm. terms of applications okay. and uptake. But I, I, I do think and this is something when I teach this, uh, Travis, out in you know, giving seminars or even to my students here at Arkansas, um, it, it's just the, you know, I still, I'm, a, I'm still a firm believer that roots play a, a very big role in fertilizer uptake and, you know, uh, foliar uptake is a way to supplement and, and control certain things in terms of, of feeding of, of things like nitrogen. Uh, but if you're trying to get a lot of nitrogen in a plant, the best way to do that is through the roots.
0: Yeah. That kind of, I think I even mentioned that I mentioned that yesterday or the day before yesterday, I can't remember, but I'm with you on that. So from so if I'm I just want to maybe visualize this for the audience and or for myself too, is that if you use the if we use the analogy of let's say you're drinking from a water hose, you're gonna drink X amount of water. If you're drinking from a fire hose, you're only still gonna be able to drink the same amount of water, but you're gonna lose a lot of that water because it's being mm-hmm. rushed at you so much.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So is it simply a matter of the capacity of the turf grass to take up, it's only gonna take up X amount, regardless of how much you throw at it. Not necessarily the the nitrogen sufficiency status of the plant, or maybe there's a combination going on there.
1: Well, again, there could be something to the idea that if it's really deficient in nitrogen, maybe it can take up more okay. at that point. But I, but I do think there is, yeah, there's a capacity in, in the plant. Um, mm. You know, the, those little, you know, transcuticular pores uh, in the cuticle, um, you know, they, they can only absorb so much. It's not like mass flow through the roots with, you know, with in a solution of, of soil water that, that, that the plant can really take up in a a pretty abundant amount of nitrogen, but, um, Mm -hmm. I I do think there's a, there's a limit.
0: Well, on that note, since you mentioned it, and it's not really in this paper, I don't remember. I don't recall if it's in this paper or one of the other papers. You mentioned the term transcuticular pores and this this notion still comes around in the, in the industry. And in fact, I was in Fort Lauderdale when I was a faculty member down there and a salesman came in and I guess he didn't know who I was and he was trying to Discussed meet with me or discuss with me about nitrogen uptake and how his nitrogen is, has the greatest capacity to be taken up through the stomata and I'm like whoa hold on <laughs> like, like, wait a second here are you sure about that and um, so when you the notion of nitrogen and nutrients in general being taken up through the actual airspace of the stomata versus transcuticular uptake I don't know again I don't recall I don't think it's in this particular paper but there's, there's, I don't, and I don't know if you defined it and, and identified this with, you know, such certainty, but it seems to me, the uptake, if there is any, going through into the plant through the stomata seems to be a very, very inefficient method of uptake versus, you know, transcuticular yeah. absorption. What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I have pretty strong thoughts on that actually, because, okay. um, you know, the, the first, the first point is that if you look at the area of the leaf surface that's that 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 is stomata compared to the total leaf area i mean it's 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 very small like four or five percent maybe Mm -hmm. um that you know so so you're you're only looking at four or five percent of the leaf area that the nutrient could go in um if that's a major entry way into the leaf so so that would certainly suggest it's not efficient, uh, but then we we actually did did a study, and I, th- I think we published it in maybe the nitrogen source paper. I can't remember. I know I it's remember. in Chris's dissertation. I don't know if it ever got into a paper I or not. I think it
0: did because that's the one where you did it in the middle of the night. Right? Yes,
1: so we yes. basically we basically applied the nutrients at eight o'clock in the morning, uh, as the sun after the sun had come up. Uh, So the stomatas would be open at that point. And then we also applied it after the sun went down. I think it was, you know, eight or nine o'clock at night that Chris, poor Chris had to go out there and Mm -hmm. uh, spray plots. Uh, And then basically we harvested uh, the, the, Tissue eight hours later, and uh, measured uptake. And what we found in, in in multiple runs of that study was that there was never any difference in nitrogen uptake between a, a morning application and a nighttime application. Which, again, was pretty good confirmation that the stomata are really not important in yeah. terms of how much nitrogen you're getting taken up. It's mm-hmm. it's most of it's going through the the, the transcuticular pores.
0: I know that was sort of secondary, but it was a good, I remember, I mean, you mentioned it, and that was a, a one I wanted to hit on while you mentioned it, because I, I do recall that was a completely separate paper. I thought I had that listed, but I don't have it on my notes here. So anyway, we'll get to that one at some point, but now, nitrogen uptake through the leaves, the cuticle of the leaf does occur, but it doesn't seem like going through the stomata would be a very likely uh, you know, entryway, so... Uh, at least when you're looking at percent of a percent that mm-hmm. is uptaken. Okay, so back on target. I'm sorry, I get I get distracted sometimes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I do too. <laughs> um, so this, this this project was in was in Arkansas. You're looking at bent grass and Bermuda grass. You did it with N15 labeled nitrogen, uh-huh. and it was over two years. And the in 2007 and 2008 applications of foliar urea were made once a month, May through September, with N15 labeled urea now i i did a i did i did a literature review here recently for an association on pesticide efficacy and I was shocked i don't know anything about pesticides i was very very ignorant about pesticides but I was shocked the differences in pesticide efficacy as it as it relates to the nozzle type of a spray mm. rig shocking mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily mean one nozzle type's the best it it happens to be if that particular herb pesticide is made to go in the soil or made to go through the leaf or whatever the case is, you have to be very specific. And in here, you actually mentioned this a little bit here. A hollow cone spray nozzle was selected to produce a fine atomized spray pattern for even thorough plot coverage, further facilitating foliar nitrogen uptake. And the reason I mentioned that is from a pragmatic perspective, this is not really investigated in this study, but it does offer the opportunity for you and I to at least you know, mention to the audience that spray nozzles do matter um depending upon what you're targeting right in terms uh-huh. of you want to do a, a liquid application to the soil you want to do a foliar application have it stick on the leaf this does matter do you care to talk about that a little bit
1: yeah um you know we we never really you know looked at that specifically but um you know again in in working with Derek Oosterhouse you know he he made that point that you know a lot of the cotton growers were trying to use uh their pivots mm. uh to put out um To put out what they were thinking was foliar nitrogen, but really they were putting it out in such a a massive spray volume, um, you know, large droplets, you know, gigantic droplets compared to what any spray nozzle is going to put out. And and what they found was that foliar uptake was was really reduced uh, considerably, but based on um the fact that uh, the the size of the droplets and the volume of the water and so you know we we definitely knew we wanted to get something that was going to be fine droplets get as much coverage as we possibly could on the leaf and and i still think that's you know um that that's what you're looking for um you know with um uh with with a uh, with a foliar application now, there's a lot of different kinds of nozzles out there now. You know, when you start looking at things like air inductions and and some of the different nozzle types, and and I think the the pathologists have probably done a really good job of of defining you know the the coverage you get with certain types of nozzles versus others. And I'm I'm not completely up on all that literature yeah. but um yeah. it's it's a um there, there's no question that if you're if you're trying to you know cover a leaf with a contact fungicide or if you're trying to cover a leaf with a foliar uh, nitrogen application the better dispersion uh, the more you can get that you know evenly distributed on the leaves is going to improve um improve yeah. nitrogen uptake
0: yeah just just keep that in mind in general like you know, think about your target what are you trying to target the soil and mm-hmm. plant Try to make the best decision, kind of your nozzles. So, real briefly, the it looks like the rates were 0. 0.1. I guess I'm trying to convert this into English. 0. Yeah, 1 those, pounds, and Yeah, I the, had to
1: go back. And, I had to go back and look at that this morning.
0: I think it's <laughs> point 0.1 and like a quarter pound. Like, yeah, no, I'm sorry, a, it, a tenth of a pound a, and a quarter pound.
1: Tenth of a pound and a quarter of a pound. Yeah, I
0: mean, right. that's yeah. What, that's these are the two rates you guys went out with. And for 24 hours after the period uh, after the application, you, there was no irrigation or rainfall applied, so mm-hmm. that was that was good before we jump into the results which are coming up right now let me answer let me ask a question from chat and I this is a little bit tangential to this but that's kind of where we've been today anyway so John Fetter asks, does the use of chidens or natural adjuvants increase the uptake of foliar urea or ammonium sulfate
1: well that's that's a really good question um, and you know um, um, Bruce Branham and one of his students uh, gosh, Shelby, um, that's what happens when you get old. You can't remember everybody's name. Uh, but anyway, Bruce Branham and one of his PhD students at Illinois actually looked at adjuvants um, in foliar uptake. And, and what they found was that they got, um, you know, slightly improved uptake with some of the ad- adjuvants. Wasn't, wasn't a big number, but they did get a little bit. Uh, but but one of the things that you know you got to keep in mind is that you know urea itself is a is somewhat of an adjuvant. It will actually cause it will reduce the surface tension of your spray solution, and so you do get some spreading just from having the nitrogen in the in the solution. Um, I don't think there would be anything. That would ever make me say, "Don't put an adjuvant in there." If you want to, you know, improve the the spreading of the um, of the solution on the on the leaf, I think that's perfectly fine. Uh, But um, you know, we we didn't actually use an adjuvant, and I I don't know that it really um, diminished what we saw. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, I will just add to that a little bit. When I was doing some work with um, foliar applied iron. I didn't. I didn't actually measure this in terms of like having it as a fixed effect or anything. But it was in my observation when I was doing that that there were some cases where iron sulfate was applied without an adjuvant, and iron sulfate was applied with a product that had an adjuvant in it, and the differences were quite small. Okay, they were. They weren't. I mean, I don't think an average person would be able to pull those out visually. But I was able to pull out because I actually looked at it and like, oh, there might be a little something going on there. Um, I was able to, to see that and there was a little bit going uh-huh. on with some NDVI stuff. But I would say generally from my work with iron, I I would agree with what you're saying is that I, I think the value might be in the, oh, whoops, I did this at the wrong time sort of scenario. Like if you went out and you, you only had like two or three hours on the on the leaf before it started really raining. Or if you went out with a plant that has really, um uh, had a lot of very fine hairs on the leaf tissue and the, 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 the water couldn't penetrate that to get to the cuticle. Like crabgrass, for example, might be one that you can't really get the water onto very easily. Something like that I think it would be useful for. Um, but as, I, as people, the, the regular uh, audience that, um, that watches this channel knows, my question back would be, okay, let's say you do get a little bit of advantage, maybe 5 or 10% more increase. How much does that cost? How much is that? Uh, how much are you gaining from buying that product and putting it in your 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 system? And then if it's worth that cost to you, then so be it. But it's not just a matter of I'm getting ten or fifteen percent better quality or color or whatever. It's a matter of how, what mm-hmm. does that cost to get it, and then weigh out those options. That's usually my approach to a lot of things. Well, let's get into the results. Basically, just just so we're on the same page, we're in Arkansas. We got Bermuda grass. We got tiff. Uh, we got uh, uh, bent grass. Are applying two different rates of urea nitrogen labeled n15 label and they're going to do them they're going to collect the tissue they're going to measure the nitrogen uh percentage uh, and they're going to do it over time so they're going to do it i would say i don't forget that the time limits but we're going to look at a graph here in a minute where you measured at one hour or four hours or 10 hours or whatever so you're measuring that what was the percent taken up over time within a very short time not just one day a lot of times as you know mike a lot of times you'll see these these done it'll be like the first time level will be day one and day right. four or so forth and eighty percent or whatever is going to be taken up in the first day. Well, reality is, superintendent's not going to put it out, or even a lawn care operator is not going to put it out, and then not do anything i mean, they anything for a day or two days. They're not going to wait for maximum uptake. And you actually make a point of that here in this paragraph. That a lot of people are—they're not going to wait for the maximum amount of absorption. They don't have time to do that. They may need to mm-hmm. put out some water, and that's what you mentioned right here. It says, however, from an agronomic perspective, from a golf course superintendent wishing to maximize foliar uptake of urea in on creeping bentgrass putting greens, delaying necessary management practices like syringing for longer spans than one day in an effort to obtain a little bit of an extra uptake in nitrogen being 9 or 10% is probably not practical. Right. So um, so I I like that you added in this practical stuff. I was talking to Ross Braun uh, months and months ago when he came on. And he has a very practical approach to when he's writing. I mean, it's not just all hardcore science. There's a a component of, hey, let's not forget why we're here. We're here for practitioners to use this. And I, I really appreciate when writers include stuff like that in there.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I when I, when I give seminars on this, I, I talk about that quite a bit because, you know, it, it is one of the more common questions that I get. Oh, should I water it right away? Can I water it in an hour? Can I water it, you yeah. know, the next day? What's the, you know, what's the protocol here? Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we'll see here in a few minutes, I mean, uptake happens, you know, within the first few hours. I mean, that's where you're going to get, you know, probably 90% of the uptake that you're probably going to get over the course of a 24 hour period is going to happen there in that first few hours. Yeah. And so, you know, waiting just a few hours, you're you're going to probably maximize what you're trying to do. Uh, but but the other the other point, too, that I think is worth noting is that, you know, if if you if you sprayed a, a foliar application, uh, and it had been on the turf for an hour or a couple of hours, and then you needed, for whatever reason, to syringe, or you need to put some water out to water something else in. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case may be, um, that nitrogen is not really lost. Okay, the nitrogen that may still be on the leaf surface may get washed into the soil, mm-hmm. and most likely those surface, you know, feeder roots are going to pick it up. And so, it, it's. I always tell people, it's like, look, if you have to. Just, just do it. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a big downside of. I mean, if you're trying to get foliar uptake, you don't want to water it right away. That's probably the uh, the other big take home message is you don't want to put water on it right away, or, or even put it out in a very high volume of water. Uh, and and again, Bruce Branham's uh, uh, work they showed that that when you get, you know, up to you know 60, 80, 100 gallons per acre spray volume, you won't get as much foliar uptake as you do at maybe 20 or 40
0: yeah yeah well here's the graph you're talking about this is one of the graphs that um there's a couple of graphs that i've ripped off of scientists over the years <laughs> this is one of them and then beth did a paper that i did yesterday i forgot to tell that there's, she did this paper with leaching where she has all these little little icons and stuff and i completely ripped that off too and re- <laughs> <laughs> we
1: all we all do it James. yeah it's i mean okay. it,
0: when it looks good it looks good you don't need to reinvent the wheel here
1: if it's
0: good day, it's a good day <laughs> yeah, exactly. But when you see stuff like this, you begin to realize the value of someone like Chris going in and doing these samplings at earlier time levels. Because you did it at one day, you're out here at 55, whatever percentage, of the uptake of the, of the nitrogen versus when you do these at one hour, two hours after application, then you start to really get some information that's valuable to us. And, and not only science, but practitioners. And so this is what Dr. Richard was talking about where I, this time level right here is probably what? I go That's to one, one hour. One hour. Yes. This it is was
1: one, one four, one eight, four. and 24.
0: Yeah. So at one hour on bent and in, in Bermuda grass, you're talking 40 to 45% of the uptake of what was applied occurring in that first hour. That is fast. And I don't, I don't, maybe people do appreciate the, what, what this means is that. Literally, before you get to the back nine, or before you get to that third football field, or before you get to the tenth house down the street, what you just put out is already doing its business. Fifty mm-hmm. percent, let's just say roughly forty-five percent, has been already been taken up in the first hour. So, you know, we would we would miss that if you if you know if you didn't do that time level. And and I don't know if I don't know if people really can really appreciate the magnitude of. The challenge involved to do this because how many plots are you dealing with? You dealing with three or four reps. You got all these plots out there, and by the time you finish applying this on the first day, it's already been an hour. So now you got <laughs> to go back and start. You know, you got to start time doing. You got to do these things exactly timed perfectly uh-huh. to to get things done at that time. So bravo to you guys. I like this stuff. It's good. So from- yeah, that
1: was that. That surprised us a little. I mean, it didn't shock us, but. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, I, I still kind of hold that, you know, if you look at that top graph there on the bent grass, you know, at, at four hours, we had a little bit more, maybe another five or 10% uptake. And then at eight hours, we had another five or 10% more, uh, uptake. Uh, and, but, but, you know, it was amazing. If you looked at the, the difference between one hour and, um, 24 hours, you, you got most of it in there that first hour. Yeah. I mean, that first hour is where most of the action happened.
0: Yeah, that's 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 this graph, along with some other data here and there, is why when people ask me, "Well, when can I go back and out and irrigate?" Even if it's something like iron applications, different element, different altogether. But you know, urea application, whatever, when can I go back out and do it? Well, with urea, certainly within the first three or four hours, you know, well, you're going to get most, most of the nitrogen uptake. I mean, if it's going to be taken up by the leaves, it's going to be taken up in the first three or four hours. So if you put this out in the morning, certainly by the afternoon, I would think you'd be fairly safe if you need, if you really felt so compelled to go out and apply some water. You'd be safe knowing that a large portion has already been taken up to the plant. And as you said, even if, you know, there's still some left on the plant to be taken up and you put on a syringe cycle, it's just gonna be washed in the soil, you know? Yeah. And you have secondary opportunities there for uptake. So I like this graph, yeah.
1: You can use it anytime, Travis. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, believe me, it's in it's in my PowerPoint presentations now. I, I, I give all the citations and everything, but it's in there now. So, so this is sort of one of the more interesting things to me about this paper is this particular graph where we're looking at very short time time levels. Now, when we're talking about this is what I was talking about earlier about the rate of application. When you deal with these lower rates, I don't know if biologically there's a whole lot of difference here between fifty. and whatever this is, 50%, but you're going to see generally a greater percentage of the applied nitrogen taken up at lower application rates. And that's what we, that's what uh, you and I were talking about earlier about, you you know, your mouth is only so big. You can only drink so much at a time, you know, and if you're getting flooded with water, you're still going to, you're going to waste some of that water. And that's probably what's going on here. Um, there was some postulation you guys provided in the paper about what might be going on with the month to month thing down below. But, um, you know, just for 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 future graduate students and scientists who are going, well, why was why was more nitrogen taken up at a lower rate? That's very consistent, even with with normal soil applied nitrogen. Low rates generally have greater percent uptake, even through the roots. There's, that's very very consistent.
1: Yeah, but, you know, one thing, and and again, this this is an area that um, would be a really interesting thing to look at. Um, you know, moving forward is is that. You know, e- even though at the 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 lower rates tended to have you know similar percentage uptakes, or or even in some cases maybe a little better uptake or whatever than the higher rates, um, you know, it's still if let's say both of them were taken up at fifty percent, mm-hmm. um, you know, fifty percent of a tenth of a pound is is considerably less than fifty percent of a quarter of a pound. So sure. so that quarter pound rate was still able to take up more. But there wasn't a there wasn't a suggestion that if you put out more nitrogen, it was suddenly going to be able to take it up at a much, much higher rate. And yeah. that was that was probably the take home message. But, um, sure. you know, I, I think, you know, people ask me about rates. What's, you know, what's a minimum rate? What's a, well, there, there is no minimum rate you can put out however low you want. But mm. I, I still kind of believe about a quarter of a pound is about as high as I would ever probably want to take
0: for for foliar uptake on putting greens or just yeah. in, at, for liquor or for lick what about I would say
1: probably in general for most turf grasses I mean once you get over a quarter of a pound my guess is you're going to you you're really going to start seeing a decrease in the in the efficiency but we never did that I mean it, mm-hmm. it, you know it would have been interesting to to take that out to you know 0.2 0.4 yeah. 0.5 whatever pounds to see if if you still started seeing a decrease in mm. uptake efficiency But
0: what I'm asking specifically is about uptake through the leaves or just uptake of the nitrogen Completely total uptake uh, through the leaves, through the yep. leaves, yeah. Yep. So if someone was applying a liquid application intended to be applied to the soil, but through a liquid, mm-hmm. that would be a little bit d- this secondary, different from what you're talking about, right? The, yeah, I think time. in
1: that case, you know, you could you could put it out, you know, just like you would put a granular you go a yeah. pound or pound and a half or whatever you wanted to put out at that point.
0: Okay, all right. So here's the graph about the your 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 hypothesis about do the shoulder seasons matter? or Does the time of year matter? And, you know, you acknowledge in this, in the discussion, which we're not going to go into, the discussion is actually quite lengthy in this paper about this uh, result, really. And uh, why, why were there differences among years and what you, what you were expecting to see didn't quite uh, line up with what you found in terms of the times of the year? Do you care, care to comment on that?
1: Yeah. Well, well, again, one of the reasons we were we were interested in this and, and you know, I, I, I hate to admit this since Chris, you know, graduated in 2010, there's there's still a paper in his dissertation that we never, never got published. Um, the data was kind of messy. And uh, I think at that point I was like going, well, if Chris is not here to, to straighten out this mess, I don't know that I want to do it. <laughs> uh, but but in in cotton, um, one of the things that they found very clearly um, is that you know cotton produces a determinate leaf that means it grows a leaf and then that leaf is there basically throughout the life cycle you know of that plant until it produces a bowl and seeds and then it eventually um you know will will you know will die and what they they found in that and they did some really elegant work is that as as plant leaves age. Uh, the the cuticle wax actually gets thicker. Hmm. And so one of the things that we thought is that, well, if, you know, these turf grasses, when they go into more slower growth periods, does that affect the thickness of the cuticle wax and does that potentially affect uh, foliar uptake. And so that was kind of what, what our, our working hypothesis was, is that, you know, let's say, for example, Bermuda grass. okay, in the middle of the summer, it's growing really well, you know, you're clipping every day, you're taking leaf tissue off, but as it gets into the fall of the year, especially as it starts, you know, really responding to shortened day lengths and cooler temperatures and starts slowing down, does it, does it start developing a thicker Uh, cuticle layer Mm. and and Chris had some pretty good data on that that showed that you know there is some changes that occurs Mm. in the cuticle layer but we never could really pick it up in the field when we did Mm. when we grew plants like in a greenhouse and just let them grow and let the leaves really mature uh, we saw that the you know the cuticle got thicker and 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 that was probably suggesting that you know it was not going to take up nitrogen as well. But I think in the dynamics of a putting green, because the grasses are, they're always growing a little bit. They may be growing more sometimes than others. But I think, and then the the daily mowing and removing of that leaf tissue and stimulating that growth, Mm -hmm. I think we're dealing with basically young leaves all the time. Mm. And so... Even though we had some some slight differences from month to month on both species, um, there was just never a pattern that we could, you know, really put any, you know, any faith into the data. That okay, well, yeah. they take up nitrogen better in the middle of the summer or in the shoulder seasons or whatever the case may yeah. be with either species. It was just the data was was um, it was just a little messy, and we never saw any trends that we felt comfortable. Yeah, you know. You know, putting yeah. putting put a uh, you know a stake in the ground and saying this is what's going on.
0: Yeah. Well, this this graph that we're looking at is you know, like <laughs> is what you if you if you were going to expect greater uptake in the shoulder seasons for bent grass, you would expect to see more uptake in May, less uptake in the summer, and more uptake in September, October, some something like that's kind of what you're going for. And in the in the mm-hmm. in the in the case of Bermuda grass, you'd expect to see the opposite, right? Greater growth, right? And so. Forth. But it's 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 often uh, humbling whenever stuff like this happens because <laughs> every now and then Mother Nature gives us a little bit of insight into her mysteries and then something like this happens she goes Kr-. we don't you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like we just barely get an opening because the more it grows you go well it's the more it's going to take up but really yes it should take up more but you don't know there's almost so many other factors involved you can't necessarily predict that so it's it's uh. I, I like work like this even if it doesn't line up exactly with what we would expect actually pr- i prefer it when it doesn't line up when we, exactly what we expect because it make, gets me to start thinking on what's what else is going on and you know mm-hmm. it, it's not uh it's not quite so clear as what you would expect i don't know I, I i prefer seeing stuff like this so thank you for putting that in there even if it's not exactly what you're looking for
1: well, you know, we tried and, and we couldn't, we didn't, we didn't find enough to, to, to again, make any, any firm yeah. statements on it. But, uh, you know, I, if you looked at that graph again, if you scroll back up there and just look at it, you know, again, we're talking between 40 and 60% uptake every month of the year. And so, yeah. you know, I kind of concluded from that is that, well, you're, you're going to get pretty good foliar uptake as long as that grass is active. Yeah. Um. And, and, you know, s- is it gonna is it gonna be the exact same percentage every time you spray it or every month of the year? Probably not, but mm-hmm. you know you're still getting pretty good uptake. And I, yeah. you know I'll ask you a question because you mm. you've done more you've done more fertilizer work than I have. Mm. Um, I mean, what's a what's a what's a what's a percentage uptake of a soil applied nitrogen?
0: Um, well, in a good scenario, it would be around these numbers. You know okay. 40 to 50 percent if you're really tight with your methodology we read a paper the other day that was closer to the lower 20s and mm-hmm. I even made a comment on the paper on the on the the podcast like that's that's kind of low mm-hmm. so you know I, I wouldn't expect to consistently see numbers of so of soil applied uptake consistently I wouldn't expect to see it above 60 that' would be extremely <sighs> high that'd be extremely yeah. high so these numbers aren't that far off from from soil applied you you might see them a little lower maybe in some cases but um but i this is pretty consistent from what i from what i've worked with and i know this is foliar uptake but yeah i wouldn't expect to see a whole lot of difference if anything maybe a little lower than this but around that number yeah
1: yeah and that's kind of been my my view and again i haven't i haven't probably scoured that literature as much as i should have but yeah yeah i mean i've seen yeah soil applied nitrogen uh, yeah, be, yeah like you said be as low as 20 or 30 percent and maybe 60 or 70 percent would be a you know that would be that would be gold in terms yeah. of how much uh, you got in there and so so again i think from an efficiency standpoint um I still think foliar uh, uptake is is quite efficient. I just yeah. you just can't get as much into the plant um, at one time as you can, probably from a soil applied yeah. Uh, source.
0: Yeah, I mean you know the the value. I, I would like to partition this a little bit better in in the, in the literature. I don't know if I don't know if I can think of one off the top of my head that's really strong, but you know the what is applied to, the idea being whatever is, a, is applied to the leaf if it doesn't get taken up it gets washed off and so forth there's there's probably a, there's a great deal of at least i'm convinced that that's very likely to happen but what what percentage that got washed off eventually gets taken up by the roots there's probably been some work done on that i can't think of anything off the top of my head but um but regardless you're still getting 40 or 50% uptake here mm-hmm. certainly some of it gets washed off is very likely to be taken up by the roots anyway um, so for those people, I guess I will I'm glad you went back to this because for those people who might not be in the know about nutrient use efficiency, I don't really like that phrase, but I'm going to use it for now is that they might think, well, I'm applying a pound of nitrogen. I'm getting a pound in the ground. No, you're not. <laughs> 50% is a good ballpark. If you get 50% in the leaf, you're doing pretty good. If we recover 70, 80% in the whole system. That's doing pretty good.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: So you're not getting anywhere near in the plant what you're actually applying. If you're applying a pound, you'd be lucky to get a half pound, but that's what it needs. Well, that one pound of application, even though you're getting half in, is still resulting in the desired outcome. So that's, that's what's important. So, sorry. Kind of went off on a tangent there. Well, let's, uh, let's see. Was there anything else I wanted to cover before? Let's see here.
1: You sure you don't want to go over that Anova table in some excruciating detail?
0: (laughs) (laughs) This I went. Over, I have one. I have one from. Uh, oh, who's the guy? At, uh, Connecticut, the real nice guy, but Connecticut. Uh, uh, Scott Ebden yes, I did Scott a. Pa- I did a paper once. That was so. Oh my God! It was so. Just too deep. Okay, it was just too deep. And I had a Nova table in there that was just. I don't even want to go there. It's ridiculous. And Scott, bless his heart. He actually called me or emailed me. He's like Travis. Let me let me work you through this and just kind of get this lined. Up. I think he was the editor at the time, and he went through there and helped me with that dang Anova table and really just like, okay, this is what we need. This is what we need. This is what we need. And I just feel, I'm like, man, that is that is going over and beyond your responsibilities as an editor. So yeah, but I've seen my fair share of Anova tables. I don't I don't care to go through that thing. But anybody that wants to read it can. Feel free, to down, feel free to download it. So let's just jump to the conclusions. There's like one little thing in here I wanted to make sure I mentioned, and um, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Um, Most of the foliar applied urea, most of the fo- foliar applied urea nitrogen was absorbed in the first four hours, which is what me and Dr. Richardson just, just mentioned. While the greatest increase in fertilizer nitrogen within leaves and shoots happened between time zero and one hour, which is also what he mentioned, right? So that one hour to two hours is a critical time, I guess Mike's what I'm getting at. Is that that's the time if you want foliar uptake to avoid any applications of water i mean don't mm-hmm. don't rush out there oh there's rain coming i got to get this application in if you want foliar uptake don't do that <laughs> yes you know that first one or two or three hours is is critical so though foliar fertilization of putting greens can provide an efficient means of delivering nitrogen turf grasses for growth metabolic functioning and or recovery our data show significant differences in the amount of fertilizer nitrogen recovered in plant tissue during the, during different months and years. And then it says, additionally, we found significantly lower uptake efficiency when higher end rates were applied. And I'm just mentioning that to make sure we drive home is that, that's very common. It's very common. Uh, The the high rates are generally less efficient in terms of the percent that was applied being taken up. That's, that's not unusual at all, at least from my knowledge of the literature. Now here, this last little thing I highlighted, it says based on our results, the following is recommended for greatest efficiency. So this is where I was getting at earlier when I was talking about like the pra- pragmatic, you know, verbiage. And and oftentimes, Mike, I've been guilty of getting so knee deep into it. And I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing, I get to the conclusion, I'm done. And, I, and then like back up, I'm like, wait a second, nobody's going to be able to use this information from a practical perspective, you know? And so I try to go back and Add stuff like this in, so I'm glad we, glad you guys included it. Based on our results, the following is recommended for greatest efficiency. Number one, use less than a quarter pound of N for, appli- for application rates. Number two, wait several hours to maximize foliar uptake, then water it in, washing any absorbed urea nitrogen or ammonium nitrogen remaining on the leaf surface into the soil or root zone for second chance uptake by the root zone. That's pretty succinct. Apply it at this rate no no greater than a quarter pound let it sit on the leaf for a little bit then water it in and you have you know a, a, i don't know if you want to call it a BMP but a recommendation for the greatest efficiency of this sort mm-hmm. of program is there anything that i'm missing there on that
1: no i mean from in in this paper that was really the the you know the best practical conclusions that we could try to provide to the end users to just give them, okay, here's a here's two or three points out of this research um, that that you should be able to take back and put it into practice uh, w- w- on whatever you're doing whatever kind of turf you're, uh, you're managing um, I, I will mention one thing from from one of the other uh, studies that we uh, that we did and we published we, we looked at ammonia volatilization in, in some of these foliar applied uh, plots and that was that was also something that we were concerned around similar to other studies if you put the nitrogen in the soil um, under certain conditions environmental conditions Uh, Soil conditions, you you know, the longer it sits there, the more opportunity for volatilization to occur. Uh, But really, we never saw uh, significant amounts of volatilization from these plots. and so, uh, you know, Max Schlossberg has done some follow up work and has used a more open chamber system to measure volatilization. And he showed some little, high, he showed some higher rates of volatilization than we did in our work. But I still think um, when you start looking at the percentages of volatilization, which in our work was like one or 2%, hmm. um, and, and, you know, one or 2% of a tenth of a pound or even a quarter of a pound is, <laughs> a few molecules. Yeah, I mean, it's it's
0: it's, yeah. it's, no, it's nothing. Putting So
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, so so I, again, I don't think there's any problem just letting it sit there for 24 hours and not not watering it at all. I, I think yeah. you can do that. I don't think you're going to risk losing any more. But um, you know, you may may get a little more of that nitrogen taken up by the plant if you if you uh, you know if you water it into the into the soil or you know yeah. just a couple of turns of the sprinkler to wash it off wh- whatever's left. Off the leaves.
0: Yeah, well, that's well. I, you answered the last question I was going to ask you. It's like what, what you know, it, if from me inferring what what the papers said is that like if you if you have a superintendent or um, potentially even lawn care or sport turf, if they're if they're applying this in the morning or the afternoon, um, a, a portion of them aren't going to irrigate anything that day, and then just tell them to right. turn the irrigation on in the morning or have it run the next morning cycle as usual, and you should be should be good to go. To some uh-huh. degree, are we being a little bit too? Fine tuning. I mean, are we trying to split hairs here? I mean, you know, should I water it three hours after or six hours after? I mean, well, you just let it sit there for, you know, three or four hours. And if you want to turn the water on, turn the water on. I don't, I don't know if yeah. there's going to be a major difference between these two scenarios. I don't know.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I, w- I would say that too. I mean, like I said, if, if, uh, if you're really putting it out with the intention of getting it taken up by the leaves, um, you know, wait a couple, three hours and then yeah. at that point you can either water it or, or not water it and i think you'll still be still be fine
0: mike let me look at the chat and see if there's anything that let me see if i can get i don't know if i can even get the chat let me see Uh, well so i'm not going to be able to ask all these questions we'll be here for the next two hours so but (laughs) some of these questions let me just pick one or two out so turf nerd in the chat says so for soluble fertilization is it actually better to apply foliarly or get the, get the nitrogen down to the soil? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, um, you know, I think it can be effective both ways. Um, you know, if, if you're looking for, you know, a rapid... You know, uh, surge of growth. You're trying to recover from you know a weekend of soccer matches or you know other types of damage or things. Um, I think you know using soluble fertilizers in the soil and again being able to put out a rate that's going to be much higher than you're going to be able to use from a foliar standpoint. I still think is a is a good strategy and one I would recommend. And um, and but if you know if you're trying to you know just you know maintain a certain consistency of growth um, then i would say you know the foliar approach probably will, will give you you know better results maybe than than more infrequent larger applications of soluble materials to the soil
0: yeah if i can just add on that it, it when we when we're speaking i think when dr richards is speaking we're talking sp- specifically within the context of urea nitrogen applying that as is yeah. obviously if you're applying something else in there with it like a fungicide like an uh, insecticide whatever the the mode of action or the manner in which that that pesticide should be taken up has to be considered so if it's not a systemic uh, pesticide you don't want to wash it into the soil right right you know so the uh, same thing goes for any micronutrient applications. If I'm doing, so if I were to answer that question, I would say if you're not doing any micronutrient applications in, in there with the nitrogen, then to some degree it's irrelevant. Pick you know, pick whatever you want to pick. But if you're including micronutrient applications, particularly iron, you don't want to wash that into the soil. You want to leave that on the leaf surface mm-hmm. for a good three to four, five, six hours, get that absorbed into the leaf as best you can before you start turning on the water. So the question to Turf Nerd, I would say, It depends if you, if you, if you don't have anything else in it, then you can kind of pick one, pick your poison. But if you have other things in it, you would want to consider the efficacy of those other additional components, uh, when you're putting out foliar or liquid.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll make one quick comment on that too, Travis. Is that you know I I uh, I get asked that question a lot. You know, well, what if I'm spraying my my nitrogen with a fungicide, and the fungicide says I should put it out at 80 gallons per acre, and then mm-hmm. I should water it in with a quarter of an inch of water. I said, well, you can still put your nitrogen in the tank and and put it out there, and but but never let it sit on the leaf for two or three hours if it needs to be watered into the soil because of the target that you're after so um you know in in that in that scenario you always want to follow the directions for the 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 pesticide Mm -hmm. um because the pesticide is going to cost you a heck of a lot more than a quarter of a pound of nitrogen so you want to make sure you're getting maximum efficacy for that and and you'll still get a boost from some whatever the nitrogen is in there but um i I wouldn't worry about
0: yeah
1: foliar uptake at that point
0: yeah Yeah, and that goes, and it's the easy way to conceptualize that is if if you're putting out fertilizer as a granule, you can put it out based upon BMPs for nitrogen. But if you sparge it with a pesticide, then you're locked in the labeled rate of that pesticide application. Mm -hmm. You don't don't have a choice on the nitrogen at that point. You have to apply it at the labeled pesticide rate. So it's a similar thing with, with foliar applications. Let me do one I can only pick one more guys. So let me pick one more and then um apparently you're very popular, Mike. So I gotta I gotta <laughs> I gotta pick one more because I, I gotta I gotta pick up my daughter here in about ten minutes. So um let's go with I don't know the answer to this one. So um the question is from John Duncan. It says, has there been any research on foliar applications of nitrogen applied on a growing degree day schedule? Yeah i'm not i can't think of something off the top of my head what do you
1: yeah i haven't i haven't seen anything like that um you know i use you know you talk about stealing somebody else's work dan bowman did a study back you know back in i think it was in the early 90s he did a growth chamber study where he looked at applying uh, a pound of nitrogen to ryegrass once a month a half a pound of nitrogen applied every two weeks a quarter of a pound every week. And then he actually had a treatment where he applied whatever it is, one thirtieth of a pound every day. And there was, it it was just interesting how the fluctuations and growth patterns changed as you went from a single high rate of application down to a half rate, to a quarter rate, to a, you know, a a thirtieth of the rate. And so it, it would suggest that, you know, there, you're going to obviously get longer growing degree days or longer days out of a higher rate than you will a lower rate. So I don't I don't know that you could ever model. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to think yeah. about that a little bit. I don't know that you could model nitrogen against growing degree days because it it's going to ultimately come down on the rate and the growth potential growth rate of the grass at that time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know either. And I, I'm, I'm a big advocate for saying, I don't know when I don't know. <laughs>
1: oh yeah. There's, there's, there's way more not I don't know than I do know. I can sure. promise you that.
0: <laughs> well, well, Mike, I could be here for another 30 minutes answering any questions, but I'm not going to because I have to go. <laughs> so, okay. um, but clearly, you know, you're, you're in high demand. So, uh, based upon the chat, uh, they're, they're definitely interested in knowing more about what you, what you think about some things. But I'm am I'm just gonna say thank you to you, Mike. I know you've been traveling around the globe the last uh, twenty uh, last week or so, and um, I didn't know that, or I would have scheduled this some other time when you're not so jet lagged. Maybe I don't know, but but I do appreciate you coming on and, and going over Chris's papers. There's at least two more papers I'm gonna go over. Chris's, you're more than welcome to come back on and talk about them if you want. I don't. Last thing I want to do is screw up somebody's paper. Um, but that'll be a little while <laughs> before I get back to Chris's paper. The uh, no. the stomata paper is particularly interesting as well.
1: The, well, the, you're, all, you're always welcome uh, okay. to, to give me a call. So.
0: Okay. No, I appreciate it. For those listening and watching, I'll be back on Monday morning at uh, what is it, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I really appreciate you, Dr. Richardson. I appreciate everybody watching. I'll say goodbye. Dr. Richardson, hold on just real tight, real quick. I'm going to come back to you in just a second. Okay? Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Travis. All right. Thanks. Bye.